pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to come together and to worship you. We ask that you would meet with us here today as we look at your word. We ask that you would speak to us from your word today and that the Holy Spirit would meet with us and that we would understand and then go out and do what you have called us to do. We ask that you would mold us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's it's his name that we pray by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. As Kyle said in the greeting, we're so glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. If you're new, we'd love to get to know you better. You can fill out an information card and drop it in the boxes here on the side. Uh, If you have any prayer requests, we would love to pray for you each week. Well, my name is Nathan Seal, and I'm one of the elders here at White Rock. And it's my pleasure to walk through the final chapters of Nehemiah with you this morning. So, Nick looked at chapter 10 last week. We're going to look through chapters 11 through 13. So, we got a long road ahead of us. Buckle up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to have a good time. Um, hopefully. I mean, there's some depressing stuff in there too. But, don't want it, spoiler alert, right? Now, uh, we've come a long th- way in this study of Nehemiah. And a lot has happened in Nehemiah. But a lot has also happened in the life of our church. So I think it will be helpful for me to give a quick recap of where we started from in our series and how we got here. Now, remember, the book of Nehemiah was originally combined with Ezra's, all on one scroll, and is seen as one book in the Hebrew Bible. So we didn't preach through Ezra, but since they were meant to be read, read together, I think a quick summary will be helpful. And this is the second service, so we can go a little long if we need to. We don't have a service behind us. Nine o'clock, you got to be on it, but no, I'm kidding. We'll be fine. Uh, Don't get too worried. Now, the book of Ezra Nehemiah deals with returns. Ezra starts out, there's a return to build the temple, the altar, and then the temple. And, And then there's a return to build the community and to teach the law that Ezra the scribe comes and does. And then in Nehemiah, we have this return to build back the city, replenish the residents, and build the wall. Now, why is the theme of return so important? Now, these returns begin to build up the prophetic hope of restoration. As Ezra opens, it begins with a decree written by King Cyrus, who was stirred up by the Spirit of the Lord to give the charge for the people to return and to build. Let's look at Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Ezra chapter 1. I promise we'll get to Nehemiah. Verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up 
to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Now notice that line in verse three. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and to rebuild the house of the Lord. There's a question posed here. Whoever is among you, who will be the one who goes up and does these things? So the people were in exile in Babylon, and they're now free to return home and begin to rebuild. Now Ezra starts with Zerubbabel, who heads up the temple project, and he completes the temple project in the first six chapters of Ezra. And then there's a gap of about 57 years, and then Ezra the scribe and priest comes, and he is tasked with rebuilding the community by committing to study the law of the Lord and then teaching it to the people. The question that arises is, is Zerubbabel the Messiah? He's coming to rebuild the temple. Is Ezra the Messiah? He's coming to rebuild this community. He's reinforcing the law. And now Nehemiah has returned to rebuild the walls and the city. Is this the Messiah? See, each of them are participating in aspects of restoration that the promised Messiah will bring. The temple rebuilt, adherence to the law of God, the wall and city rebuilt. But what about the hearts of the people? Jeremiah 31 tells us that the new covenant will come and the law will be written upon the hearts of the people. Have they been given new hearts? So one of the questions that the book of Ezra and Nehemiah is asking is, is this the culmination of the prophetic hope? So that's the question. So be thinking about that. We're going to let that question hang and we'll come back to it at the end. Now, as we walk through Nehemiah, we saw how he faithfully relied on God, even in the midst of adversity and hardship. And the walls are rebuilt. And then after the walls are rebuilt, what happens? Ezra faithfully brings the book of the law and reads it to the people each day from morning to midday. And they hear it. And what happens? Nick walked us through it last week. It leads to confession, repentance, and ultimately covenant recommitment by the people. The book of Nehemiah begins with a problem. Jerusalem has no walls, just like Ezra began with the problem. There's no temple. And now this tension has been building throughout the book and leading to this climatic moment. The people have repented. Their commitment to the covenant is renewed. The walls are built. And now in chapters 11 and 12, the city is replenished with residents and the walls are dedicated to the Lord. Let's look at chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So they're bringing people from the surrounding areas, the walls had been torn down. No one wanted to live in Jerusalem, but now that the walls had been rebuilt, the leaders are calling people to come back in and replenish the city. And so they cast lots and the people come back and begin to replenish the city. Now the rest of chapter 11 lists the people, the leaders who were living in Jerusalem and where they were stationed. And then we get to chapter 12 and it begins to list 
the Levites and priests who were in the surrounding areas. They had little houses uh, that they had built in the surrounding areas and towns, and now they're calling them back into Jerusalem. Why? Because we're about to rededicate or dedicate the walls. Let's look in chapter 12, verses starting in verse 27. And then at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nephthalites. See, I, I had a Jasmine read that, and then I stumbled on it as well. And let's move to uh, verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoice. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. My first point for today is this. Celebrate the faithfulness of God. Celebrate the faithfulness of God. Out of the most improbable of circumstances, Nehemiah has been allowed to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city. You'll remember Sanballat and Tobiah, the villains of the story beginning in chapter 2, their response actually was kind of the expected one, right? They come and they say, are, are you rebelling against the king? Because what king would allow his people to, his captives to return to the city and rebuild the fortress that they had? That's like civilization and conquest 101. Like that, don't let that happen. That's asking for rebellion. But God is faithful. And Nehemiah is allowed to return and to rebuild and they celebrate God's faithfulness in this coming to pass. Now, this celebration is a pattern. Because back at the beginning of Ezra, Zerubbabel and Jeshua rebuild the altar and lay the foundation to the temple. And in chapter 3, verse 13, it says, The people wept with joy and shout with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Similarly, in Ezra 6, when the temple is completed... And dedicated, and the people are able to celebrate Passover and the other feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Ezra 6.22 says, They kept the feasts with joy for the Lord, for the Lord had made them joyful. And Nehemiah 8, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, Ezra reads from the scrolls of the law and teaches the people. And they learn and celebrate the feasts of booths. And in Nehemiah 8.17 it says, And there was a very great rejoicing. So what happens at the end of each of these passages? The people respond with joy. They celebrate the faithfulness of God. Now, over the last few weeks and months, I've, I've been reflecting on God's faithfulness here at White Rock Fellowship. Now, many of you know the story of how White Rock was planted, but some of you may not. But this church was planted in 2010, and it was launched in the fall of 2010, as a church plant from Fellowship uh, Bible Church Dallas, so 75 and Park Lane. And it was mainly made up of a young adults class. And uh, Fellowship launched this church plant with the young adults pastor. We had been meeting on Sunday nights. And so they launched this in the fall of 2010. And we called ourselves Fellowship White Rock. And we met at Hotchkiss Elementary, just right up the road here, who we still partner with. And then the first pastor accepted a call for a pastorate in California in January of 2012. So about a year and a half later. And a search committee was put together, which I was a part of, 
And we were young and naive and had no idea what we're doing. Uh, at least I was young and naive and had no idea what I was doing. Uh, speak, my, speak for myself. But God was faithful. God was faithful. And Jeff applied and the Fritchies moved up from Austin in August of 2012. And he served here faithfully for 11 years. And two Sundays ago, we were able, able to celebrate how God had used him in Dallas to faithfully share the gospel and faithfully disciple us in our faith. And now, as we wait for our new lead pastor, we rest in God's faithfulness. So we celebrate the faithfulness of God for two reasons. To glorify God. It's his mission for our good and his glory, but also to remind ourselves in times of doubt. We can look back on those celebrations, those markers in time, and remember God's faithfulness to us. So chapter 12, a great place to end the book, right? The city's restored, the people are committed, the walls are dedicated, and the people are celebrating the faithfulness of God. But what should follow joy in celebrating the faithfulness of God? What is Israel called to be? What are we as the people of God called to be? We are called to be faithful. Israel was called to be faithful. Paul tells us, in Ephesians chapter five, be chapter five, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So then, what do we expect to continue in chapter thirteen? Examples of Israel acting faithfully, right? That's the buildup in the narrative. That's where we're heading. That's the prophetic hope. We've rebuilt the altar. We've rebuilt the temple. We've rebuilt the community by teaching the law. We've rebuilt the city and the city walls. Now, Israel will follow Yahweh with their whole hearts, and they will be the nation that God called them to be, a light to the other nations, a light to the world. But unfortunately, we know how the story ends, and Israel falls short. And we look at our own lives, and we see that we too fall short. Israel needed the Messiah to come and rescue them and do what the nation was unable to accomplish, bringing salvation to the world. And so as we turn to chapter 13, we quickly see that the prophetic hope of chapters 11 and 12 have devolved into disappointment and despair. So we're, we're pushing towards a gloomy ending to this book, but what can we glean from that gloomy ending? Let's look at the failures that occur and then take them as a warning as we seek to be faithful people following a faithful God. So we find out that Nehemiah has returned to Babylon to report back to the king in verse 6 of chapter 13. And while he was away, around 10 or 12 years, the leaders and the people quickly revert back to their old practices. Nick talked about the covenant in chapter 10 last week. Well, chapter 13 shows how quickly they break the covenant that they just made. Let's read chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, and see how we got here. Now, on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned this curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. 
So our text begins with on that day, and the closest context here is the dedication of the wall. We see at the end of chapter 12, verse 44, that same phrase used, on that day, men were appointed over the storeroom. So it's likely occurring at that time. It, it could also mean in that time. So the time of Ezra and Nehemiah could be referring back to chapter 8, when Ezra was reading the book of the law to the people each day. That could be where it's uh, referring to as well. But either way, this seems to have occurred before Nehemiah headed back to Babylon. Now, I think it's important to point out here that this was not simply a separation based on their nation of origin. This was tied to their religious beliefs and affiliations. Remember that Ruth, a few centuries before, was a Moabite woman who came to faith in Yahweh and and was accepted into the community of Israel. She married into the community. And let's note what Nehemiah says in chapter 10 verses 28 and 29. So these are people who have committed and are sealing their names with the covenant. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and note, all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses. So, people who have separated themselves from the land and committed to the law of God are welcome in the community. On the other hand, here they have removed the people who worship foreign gods from the worship assembly. And now, why is that highlighted here? It seems like a strange way to begin the chapter. Well, let's keep reading in verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter 13. Now, before this, now a better translation here would be now in spite of this, Eliashib the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. So, Eliashib the priest, one of the leaders who had been given the responsibility of taking care of the temple and overseeing the worship of God, had allowed one of his relatives, Tobiah, to live on the temple grounds. Now, only priests who were serving at the temple at the time, they did shifts. So if you were serving, you stayed at the temple. If not, you stayed at your home. So only priests were allowed to serve in the temple. But here, Eliashib allows his relative to come stay. Now that name, Tobiah, may sound familiar because he is the one who conspired against Nehemiah in chapter 6 with Sanballat. He also opposed the building of the wall in chapter 4. And then in chapter 2, when he first arrives on the scene, he is identified as Tobiah the Ammonite. So Tobiah is the villain in the story. There's no account of him repenting or converting to being a faithful follower of Yahweh. Here he is, the villain, the Ammonite, living in the temple. Here's my next point. Nehemiah warns us, be faithful with the responsibilities God has placed in your care. Be faithful with the responsibilities that God has placed in your care. The priest, Eliashib, has been assigned the care of the temple. And in the time, the short time that Nehemiah has been gone, he has completely compromised and neglected his responsibilities. 
We are called to live faithful lives. And part of being faithful is being faithful with responsibilities that God has given us. Church, what are the responsibilities that God has placed in your life right now? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's church. Maybe it's all of those things. What does it look like in your life to serve those responsibilities well and faithfully? Maybe you've been struggling with the weight of those responsibilities. As believers, we have been given the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and meet us where we are, to guide and support us, turn to him. But we've also been given the body of Christ, fellow believers, your church, who would love to come alongside you and support you. If you aren't connected here at White Rock, we would love to get you connected, whether it's with small groups, community groups, men's discipleship, women's Bible studies. There's a a ton of ways that you can get connected. We want to help you get connected and help support you in whatever you're going through. Be faithful with the responsibilities that God has placed in your care. Now, back to the text, we see one of the reasons why Tobiah was given or was able to even live in a storeroom. Look at verse 10 with me. And I also found out, this is Nehemiah speaking, so he's come back. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil and back into the storehouses. So the people had stopped supporting the temple with their tithes and first fruits and offerings. And so there were empty rooms. There's a double failure here. The officials had left their post. They weren't faithful with their responsibilities, but it was because the people had stopped supporting the temple. It says the Levites and singers who did the work had fled to their fields. They needed to eat and their livelihood was at stake. So what does Nehemiah do? He gathers the officials in charge of overseeing this, and he brings them back. And the text says, all of Judah brought their tithe of grain, wine, and oil. Here's my next point. Nehemiah warns us, be faithful to support God's work. Be faithful to support God's work. So first we have a priest that's compromised. Now we have religious leaders, Levites, who have left their post because the people have stopped supporting them. But notice where Nehemiah starts. He starts with the leaders. He brings them back into place. And after they're set up, the people follow. What are the ways that you are faithfully supporting God's work? One of the things I love about White Rock Fellowship is the buy-in from the congregation. When you join our church, uh, we call it partnership. We call you a partner because we are partnering together in the work of God's kingdom. And we're so thankful for your partnership and supporting all of God's work that he's doing here in White Rock and in the area. And there are many ways that you can support. First, through giving of resources. It's an obvious one, uh, and it's an important one from the text. You can also give of your time. We have many areas of ministry uh, that need volunteers. Kids ministries, uh, youth, AV and slides, greeters, we would love to get you connected so that you can serve and support God's work. Think through what it means to faithfully support God's work. 
in your unique situations. Finally, Nehemiah warns us, be faithful to honor God with your behavior. Be faithful to honor God with your behavior. Let's look in verse 15, starting in verse 15 of chapter 13. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on that day, or on the day when they sold, the, when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Now, remember last week, Nick talked about in chapter 10, this is exactly one of the things that the people had committed not to do, to not buy and sell on the Sabbath. And how quickly they had made this commitment and now just a few years later, they had reverted back to their old practices. Secondly, Let's look at verse 23. In those, those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but the language of each people. So there were Jews who had, who had married women of the surrounding nations. And the t- text highlights that half of them, half of their children, were unable to speak the language of Judah but could only speak the foreign language of the surrounding nations. And this note hits at the heart of, the unfaith- of their unfaithfulness. Deuteronomy 6 is one of the key centerpiece texts of the Israel's faith. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind. These words that I command you today will be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children when you walk when you lie down, when you rise up. If the people had been following God, they would be teaching this, di- this diligently to their children. But their children were unable to even understand or speak the language. Now all of this culminates in the final verses of chapter 13, when one of the grandsons of the high priest, Eliashib, is found to be the son-in-law of Sanballat. Yes, that same Sanballat that was a villain with Tobiah that we learned about in chapter 2. He conspired with Tobiah in chapter 6. He opposed the building of the wall in chapter 4 and mocked the initial plans in chapter 2. And now, the grandson of the high priest who was in line for this position is married to him, married to his daughter. Could things get much worse? No. And that's the end of chapter 13. We're at the end of Nehemiah and everything is terrible, right? Chapter 13 shows a failure of leadership and a failure of the people. They had been given clear instructions and they chose to disregard them. Now remember as followers of Jesus, as we seek to faithfully honor God with our behavior, the law has been placed on our heart. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, faith in his death, burial, and resurrection gives us new life. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Are you faithfully honoring God with your behavior? Are you consistently walking by the Spirit or walking by the flesh? As we seek to be a faithful people following a faithful God, Nehemiah 11 and 12 reminds us, celebrate the faithfulness of God. 
But chapter 13 issues us a warning. Be faithful with the responsibilities that God has placed in your care. Be faithful to support God's work. And be faithful to honor God with your behavior. Now, Nehemiah ends on a depressing note. And we looked at what not to do. But there's a reason for that. Remember today, we started with Ezra chapter 1. Building this prophetic hope with the proclamation of Cyrus. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. The book of Ezra, Nehemiah, begins with the question of prophetic hope. Is this fulfillment? Is this the fulfillment? Is it happening now? The altar is rebuilt. Is it now? The temple is rebuilt. Is now the time? The city and the walls are rebuilt. Is now the time? Does the Messiah come? The leaders and people reaffirm the covenant. Now, it has to be now. But then the leadership falters. The people break covenant. And the book ends with an emphatic no. This was not the ultimate fulfillment. And that's where it ends. Now, here's where I think it gets cool. Turn with me to the end of 2 Chronicles. I mean, we've been going everywhere today. But 2 Chronicles is just right before Ezra. So you don't have to turn very far, right? Ezra, 2 Chronicles, and then Ezra. Turn with me to the last chapter of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Now you say, why Chronicles? Well, in your English Bible, Chronicles comes right before Ezra and Nehemiah. And it's placed right in the middle of the Old Testament. But in the, old, in the Hebrew Bible, Chronicles comes right after Ezra and Nehemiah. And those three books end the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible. In fact, they're two of the last, or three of the last books that are written in the Old Testament. So there's a longer discussion about book order in English and how it has to do with groupings of books in similar genres. Chronicles was placed next to Samuel and Kings because it has similar material, history. If you've ever been doing your Bible reading and read through Samuel and then Kings and you get to Chronicles, you're like, I feel like I just read this, right? Because it's going over the Kings again. Um, But Chronicles has a different theme. It has a different function. Chronicles functions to give a theological overview of the the entire Old Testament. That's why it's at the end. It begins with a genealogy, and Adam, 1 Chronicles 1, begins with a genealogy, but how does it end? It ends with the proclamation of Cyrus. But let's look at how he records it. 2 Chronicles 36, 22, and 23. I'm going to read, so uh, Ezra 1 is the same as, 1, 1 is the same as Ezra 2, or Ezra 36, 22 and following but there's a, a, a unique difference. So starting in verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And he stops there. Remember in Ezra, he continues, let him go up. 
whoever is among you, let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. But Chronicles stops. He knows, so Ezra is recording the whole proclamation, but the chronicler cuts it off. He's writing after Ezra and Nehemiah, and he knows how the story ends. Ezra and Nehemiah was not the ultimate fulfillment. And so he leaves the decree hanging. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And that ends the Old Testament. They're waiting for fulfillment. It's still waiting. Who will be the Messiah? When will he come? And praise God, we know how the story ends. The Gospel of Matthew begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The Messiah they were waiting for has come. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died, was resurrected, so that anyone who believes in him might have life. As disciples of Jesus, let us be faithful followers of a faithful God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you have called us to faithfulness. And Lord, we celebrate your faithfulness that you have continued to show to us. Lord, help us to be faithful with the responsibilities that you have entrusted us with. Help us to be faithful to support you in your work here on earth. Help us to be faithful to honor you with our behavior. We pray all this in your son's name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.